Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Today's guest is IT Director with the City of Urbana, Sanford Hess. Good evening, Sanford. Good evening, Elizabeth. You went to college before, quote, IT Director was a major. Walk me through your professional background that led you to your current job. I started my career as a junior in college when I got a summer internship at a company that my dad worked at. The summer internship was working with a software company and I was doing testing. So my job was to go through a series of entries and try to break the system. I spent the summer doing that and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the work I was doing. I enjoyed the people I was working with. And so when I went back to school for my senior year and didn't have much else in terms of options, you have to remember this was 1993. We were coming out of school into a recession. I had the opportunity to get a job with the same company, so I grabbed it. I had a choice between two different locations and essentially working in two different groups. The first choice was to go to Georgia and work in the telecommunications industry, and the second choice was to go to Mississippi and work for the government group. What made the difference was I had a friend of mine who wasn't really doing much, and he was from Mississippi. And I said, hey, come with me. Let's go. We'll move down there and I'll get this job. So he joined me and I went to Mississippi. And then I spent the next 20 years working for that same corporation in the government group doing system projects. And they were always financial systems. So it was the the books of the government. After 20 years of doing that, it got old. And I decided I wanted to get off the road and do something different. And right around the same time, the job opened up in Urbana for the IT director. And it just seemed to me like a really great fit because I already had familiarity with how governments operated. I knew what computer systems were like. I understood how computer system vendors try to sell and market their products because I had done that. And it was something close to home. So it really appealed to me on many levels, and I went for it hard. Again, IT director was not a major in the early 90s. What does somebody major in? I was a math major and a history major. Math, I guess, is probably at the time the more direct link. The math degree I stepped into accidentally because I took uh, classes in high school that were eligible for AP testing, And then when I got to college and started taking math classes, because I didn't realize you didn't need to, I realized at the end of my freshman year that I was already halfway to a major in math. So I stuck with it. But I also had a lot of time on my schedule, so I took a lot of history. The math side did have a little bit of computer science. We had to take two different computer science classes, and I enjoyed it. I mean, I was never like a computer person growing up. It just seemed to make sense to me and I enjoyed working on them. I remember at my college we had email and there were like banks of computers and it was the green screen kind of email and nobody used it. But I think all of us had that experience of typing up our papers and printing them out on those group printers. So that was my college computer experience really before I got the job. Flash forward, we're in a pandemic, and there's talk of essential personnel reporting to work. That obviously includes doctors, nurses, and healthcare workers, also fire and police. What you do is considered essential because you keep fire and police running electronically. What is your role in this whole current situation? The role of our IT group in the last couple weeks has been to go from a situation where nobody worked 
on the Urbana network from the outside to now having the ability for about 50 people to do that. As you mentioned, the police and fire and public works, the the frontline people, really can't work from home. So for many of them, it's about keeping the city IT operational so that they have working phones and working computers and everything else they need. For all the other employees of the city who are able to work from the outside, the past couple weeks have been a, a quick struggle to try to get them set up with the ability to be productive from home. And a lot of that depends on people's jobs. Some people work, for example, all day at a counter, um, taking you know t- payments for parking tickets. That is not really something they can do from home, and we're not taking parking ticket payments over the counter anyway. Other people have jobs that they can do from home, and a lot of that has been figuring out what types of functions people can perform and getting them the right computer equipment to do that. So it's been a struggle the last few weeks. Moving forward, our challenge as well is to make sure that we're supporting operations, and I'm as concerned about our staff as everybody else is concerned about illness for their staff as well. So We are rotating out, having one person in the office at a time. That person is there all five days of the week, and then we'll rotate the next week to somebody different. Now that many of us have started working from home, has that changed internet connections and speeds at home, which aren't as equipped as businesses? I think so. I had this problem today at our house where my connection kept failing, and it turned out that our son was downloading some kind of game package. So yes, I think this is a major concern and I think it's going to be something that fortunately we live in an area that has pretty good backbone bandwidth in the Champaign-Urbana community. But once you get outside of here to the rural areas, it's really a struggle. And we have some people who would like to work from home, but they don't have high-speed internet or their internet, their quote-unquote high-speed internet is not that high-speed Some people are connecting onto their phone as a hotspot to try to work from home. So that's a real challenge, especially for the people in the outlying communities who don't have the same high speed as as inside uh, town. I think this is going to be a problem in general. Fortunately, there's been a lot of investment in infrastructure, not just in this area, but all over the place. I'm hoping that people can support the bandwidth, but... There could come a time where there's some kind of a process of them identifying some types of internet traffic are not as important. This happens already with the phone system. So when you have calls going through the wireless phone system, there is already a prioritization of traffic. And there might be a situation with the same thing with the internet. Explain to us lay people why people can't just log into work from home. I watched you run around town and collect as many laptops as possible. What type of connection or what type of special software do people need? Why is it not that easy? It's not that it's not easy. It's the risk to the networks from people's home machines. The problem is that when you have a network and a computer is logged on to that network, then there's a level of trust that goes on between the network and that computer. So if you have somebody logging on from their home machine and connecting to the city's network, for example, any software, any malware, any viruses on their computer could easily then spread throughout the network. And that's the biggest risk we have is that at a time of pandemic and a time where everybody is struggling just to figure out what the new normal is, the last thing we want to have is a devastating virus attack of the computer kind which shuts down all the city's computers and the operations. And I think everybody who's an IT manager is grappling with the same thing. 
So from the city's perspective, the choice that we made was to issue people city devices, which we were able to pre-configure to be very limited in what they can do. It doesn't mean it's a perfect situation, but it lowers the risk. And in all these cases, especially with computer security in general, you can never guarantee success. All you can do is lower risk. Recently, the Champaign-Urbana Public Health District got hit with ransomware. What exactly is ransomware? Ransomware is a type of virus or software that gets onto machines, usually from people clicking on a link or potentially from opening an attachment to an email or sometimes even it can be from just cruising by a website. In those situations, the software that gets installed on the machine then executes a routine that starts locking up the files. And when I say locking up the files, it uses something called encryption to change the files so that you cannot access them. And the only person who can access them would be somebody who has a decryption key. And the only way to get that key is to pay the ransom that is being demanded by the bad guys. In this case, the really sad part is sometimes there's not even a guarantee that paying the ransom will get your files back. Sometimes people pay the ransom and then the key doesn't work and you have no way of going after them. But actually, a lot of times it does work because it would be bad business for it not to work because people would stop paying the ransom. So in fact, paying the ransom often does work and people can then decrypt their files. But unlike, for example, the coronavirus, getting ransomware once and decrypting doesn't make you safe in the future. You are just as liable to getting it all over again if you click on something else. So the more important thing there is to learn how to be suspicious of emails, how to be suspicious of attachments, how to look carefully at things that you get because they're getting really good, especially with the coronavirus going all over the place. There's a lot of emails related to this that are tricking people into clicking on links. There was a very malicious thing that was done to create an alternate website to the Johns Hopkins COVID tracker and visiting that alternate website would actually infect your computer. Unfortunately, times like this are a boon time for these bad guys and it's a horrible thing that they do. And really all that we can do is, is preach careful consideration of what emails you open and just to be suspicious of everything. That dovetails nicely into my next question. I have gotten official-looking COVID-19 emails, let's say somebody clicks on one and immediately realizes that it was a mistake or it was a link to a bad site. Is there any way to undo it and what should we do? First of all, just opening the email does not usually, as far as I know, does not infect the computer. What you need to do is open the attachment or click on the link in the email. The general rules are this. First of all, anytime you get an email that is asking you to click on a link or open an attachment, you need to stop and ask, who is sending this to me, and is this normal for them to send me something like this? One of the most common ways that these were spread, and and still are, is through the fake invoice. So you might get something that looks like an invoice from somebody, and you should stop and say to yourself, am I expecting this person to send me an invoice? The best thing to do is to not respond to the email, instead to contact that person through a phone or some other method, or start an email to them outside of this one and say, hey, I got something from you. Is this this right? You should always be suspicious. A couple other basic rules of thumb. First of all, if there's a link, 
you should hover, don't click, but hover your mouse over the link, which will display what the link is going to take you to. If the link is going to take you to a strange looking thing that is not the same as what it tells you, be suspicious. When you open an attachment, most of the time people have some level of security on their system that will warn you before the attachment is open to say, are you sure you want to open this? Or this thing might have macros in it. If you get a warning, stop, don't open it. Again, contact that person to find out if it's real. If it's not, uh, even if you're suspicious at all, my suggestion is just to delete it. And if it's really important, they will contact you again. On a lighter note, is it true that 95% of all computer issues can be fixed by rebooting or unplugging something and plugging it back in? That's true in my experience. Really, what a rebooting does is it gives the computer a chance to start over again, reset everything. Just like anything else, if computers are left on for a period of time, they just get confused. And rebooting is a simple way to have them go back to the start and start fresh at everything. So yes, that is a great way to resolve problems. Unplugging things and plugging them back in also works for basically the same reason. So yes, about 95% of problems can be fixed that way. Why are IT professionals so annoyed with mundane questions from us mere mortals who don't understand the inner workings of computers? Most of the questions don't require a knowledge of the inner working of computers, which most IT people don't have either. I think what annoys IT people is that people in general are not, choosing my words carefully, People are not confident enough to experiment. And the way that most IT people have learned what they know is the hard way. By doing something, having something go wrong, spending the time fixing it, and realizing, oh, I should not have done that, or oh, that's how that works. So I think what frustrates IT people is that other people are just not even open to trying on their own. And the first thing that they want to do is go and ask an IT person on how to do it for them. For downtime since I met you, you love to watch movies. You prefer them on the big screen with an audience in general. You just love movies. How has the theatrical experience changed since the invention of Netflix, Hulu, etc.? Well, the theatrical experience hasn't changed. What's changed is the cost model for people to watch quality entertainment at home. You know, if you put yourself back, let's say, 15 years What was on network TV was just not that good, or cable TV was not that good. The quality wasn't up to the movie theaters. So you needed to spend the money to go to the theater to really see a top-notch performance or actors who you wouldn't see on TV shows. What's changed to me is that TV has spent more money to produce more quality shows, and whether that's really top-notch actors or special effects or huge amounts of money for individual episodes, you can get really quality content on TV now. And when you stop and think about, this is how much I'm paying for Netflix, wow, that's like two people going to the movies without even buying food. And if you take your family out tonight at the movie theater... One of the things that's always driven me crazy was the theatrical pricing of food because it just became obscenely expensive for a family to go to the movies. So unfortunately, the theater people have done themselves in with that model where to go for two people to see the Star Wars and get a bucket of popcorn and two sodas, you're close to 50 bucks. And obviously that can't compete with Netflix. So that's the problem. And 
that was the problem before the pandemic. Since the pandemic, I think a massive number of theaters are going to go out of business. They're never going to recover. And it's really a sad thing because maybe some of the big chains will survive, but the smaller chains, the sort of individuals, theaters in different small towns, those are going to be the ones that never come back. When you were running the art theater, when did you start to realize that the movie industry was in trouble? Well, I knew the movie industry was in trouble before I got into the business. And the the part that I knew that was in trouble was the model of the pricing and everything else, because they've always been pricing themselves out of the market. One of the things, I mentioned this in the prior question, but one of the things that I take real great pride in with the art theater is that I reduced all the food pricing on day one and tried to keep it at a very reasonable level because we weren't trying to make up the difference on food. I think it's important for people to go to the movies. And you mentioned this in the intro about the theatrical experience. There is a powerful communal aspect to watching movies as a group. And you just do not get that at home when you pause and get up or all the other things that, that bother your movie watching experience. Probably the best part about going to the movies at a theater is that you cannot hit pause and it's a dark environment and you are a group of people going through that experience together from the start to the finish. And when you see a movie that really moves you or creates an audience experience, there is nothing like that to compare to watching something at home. I think most people agree with that. It's just that it's too expensive to get that thrill. That's where the movie Industry has been going downhill for years, so they need to come out of this with a new model. And I think things were trending this way a little bit with the all-you-can-watch models that you were starting to see some theaters adapt. That's probably the best way to go about it. The problem is going to be getting enough people to sign up for those models to be cost-effective. And the other part is going to be Hollywood is going to have to acknowledge that and change the pricing model. Because right now, huge amounts of money are being spent on marketing and creating those films, and they have to make it back at the box office. This is, I have to ask, part one. What is your favorite movie of all time? Well, my default answer for that is Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I have no good explanation for that, except that as a 12-year-old seeing that movie, it really hit me in a way that You know, even Star Wars hadn't hit me. Just something about Raiders really stuck out for me. As a adult, I would have to say that I've seen so many movies that have moved me in different directions. But still, when I go back and watch Raiders, I just love that movie every time. Although I will say, okay, there was a close second recently. Something that I only rewatched this for a special edition of our Real Reviews UPTV TV show was The Artist from 2012, which if you have not seen, really is such a fabulous movie and probably is my favorite movie of the 2000s. We covered IT. We covered movies. Let's cover politics for one second. Who do you admire the most in politics that is living right now? I'm going to go with Barack Obama. Something about Barack Obama really appealed to me, you know, as a person, as an American. His measured thoughtfulness is something that is just sorely lacking in so many people these days. I always felt that somebody who was in the White House, who had the ability to listen, understand, take input from people, 
comprehend, and then decisively make a decision. And I felt confident that we had somebody like that in Barack Obama. And in my lifetime, I cannot recall another president who I can say that about. When we look at our bipartisan craziness these days, it is truly different from, you know, even the candidates on both sides, that I don't think any of them really are as cool-headed or as thoughtful as he was. And that would be the one thing that I, if we could go backwards and say, who would we want to have as president during this pandemic? For me, it would be Barack Obama. I have to ask part two. You follow politics closely, obviously, and you have a very measured disposition. Have you ever considered running for public office? I have not considered running for office because I have no desire to be a candidate. That seems like a very unappealing thing for me to do. I like people and I don't mind talking to them and all that, but the artificial process of politics really is unappealing to me. And the idea of going around and putting on a face of trying to be somebody I'm not in order to get people to vote for me really is unappealing to me. I do like being involved in government because I like to help make government better. That's my goal on a day-to-day basis. I want to give our taxpayers a good value for their money. I want our city and our community to be strong and supportive of the citizens' needs. But I can do that very well from working behind the scenes. And for me, that's so much more appealing than trying to do it while getting people to vote for me. Thank you for listening to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Sanford Hess, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. 